0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: Hello everyone. I'm Lee Clark, Cyber Threat Intelligence Analyst and Writer, and this is the RHISec podcast. My regular co-host Luke is in Australia right now for an event we're doing with Palo Alto Networks. So instead, I'm joined today by a couple of my fellow Intel team members. We've got Riley Logan, Director of Security Engineering and Integrations, JJ Jozing, Principal Threat Researcher, and Ian Furr, Security Integrations Engineer. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, on. thanks, Lee. Hey, Lee. Thanks for having us.
2: At last month's summit, JJ and Ian gave a fantastic presentation about Tech's new MIST instance. But since not everyone was able to join us in Plano, we thought we would invite them on the podcast to tell us about the benefits of MISP and how members can get started using the new Community Instance.
1: And after that, I'm going to be talking to Sam Crowther from Casada about automated fraud attacks and how solver bots are being used to get around traditional bot defenses. Brad, I'll turn it over to you, JJ, and Ian to kick things off. All right. Thanks,
2: Lee. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about MISP here, so I'll jump right into it. First of all, JJ, uh, what is MISP and why should our members be excited to have a community instance of MISP?
3: The MISP is an open source threat intelligence platform and it's short for the Malware Information Sharing Platform, which started around 2011. And then early on, NATO learned about the project. And then after looking at some other products on the market, they deemed the openness of the project to be the greatest advantage. And then they decided to provide a few developers to work on the project, and we can fast forward about 10 years. And it's currently co-developed and maintained by CIRCLE, the Cyber Incident Response Center of Luxembourg. Our members should be really excited because the MISP ecosystem is all about accessibility and interoperability. As many of us know, threat intelligence is more than just indicators of compromise. MISP provides metadata tagging, visualization, as well as integrating well with lots of other tools. Also, seeing helps believing and MISP gives outstanding opportunities to aggregate threat information to see how all the data fits together by telling a broader story. MISP helps transform the technical data like your regular indicators of compromise into more traditional cyber threat intelligence.
2: It's pretty amazing to have such a capable threat intel platform available in open source. And I know our members who haven't already will be eager to get access to uh, the RHISAC MISP. So uh, how can members access the community MISP instance? What do they need to do to be able to log in?
3: Members don't need to do much. The authentication is tied in with our SSO platform. So members can just go directly to MISP.rhisac.org and log in with the same credentials used to access the Member Exchange or Slack.
2: Wow, that sounds super easy. Uh, So Ian, I know you've worked a lot on the integrations around MISP. Uh, What integrations are available?
4: Yeah, thanks, Brad. So right now, we just launched our Intel integrations repo on GitHub, and that's going to be the main source for all of our RHISAC developed integrations. Right now, this includes a script for CrowdStrike Falcon to pull data from MISP and use it to create new IOCs in CrowdStrike, one for the Microsoft Graph API, and that covers Microsoft Sentinel as well as Defender ATP. And then we have another one for Splunk, both for the regular version and for Splunk ES. And these are all accompanied by a set of generic scripts that we have that let you pull from MISP and dump to a CSV file or a JSON file, as well as, Accompanying Python and PowerShells and Bash scripts that'll let you pull into whatever platform you need to. So all of that is the things that RHIhack has developed, but there are also an immeasurable number of third-party integrations and third-party scripts that you can run with MISP to cover things like Cortex or Elastic or ServiceNow or pretty much any other platform, either to pull data from MISP and get it into whatever product you're using or to share data back to the ISAC and our MISP instance.
2: Outstanding. Yeah, integrating tools and automating workflows is a very common focus area for security teams. So it's great news that MISP offers so many pre-built integrations. Um, and making example integration scripts available on GitHub should be a very convenient way for members to get started with these integrations too, so that, that's wonderful. Um, so what does this mean for members who are currently programmatically pulling intel from TrueStar? Do they need to do anything differently?
4: No. Fortunately, is not going anywhere. We're still maintaining our partnership with Splunk as they transition that to be the Splunk Intelligence Management Service. So you're still going to have all of the same access to the vetted IOCs in TrueStar, same as you have been since you've joined the ISAC. The MISP capabilities we're adding are going to be added alongside those, so nothing's going to be disappearing.
2: Awesome, hearing I don't have to do anything right now is I'm sure great news for overworked security teams. So they can move to MISP when they're ready and when they wanna take advantage of some of those cool things MISP has to offer. Well, great guys, the only other question I have for you is uh, where can members go to learn more about MISP?
3: Members can go to the member exchange and on the members' resources, uh, we have a specific area uh, where we have all things MISP-related, including our own documentation for some of the common things that you may try to do uh, as you start to play around with MISP, as well as it's also accessible at rhis.ac.misp.
2: Fantastic. A wealth of information to help get members moving on their MISP journey. So. Uh, Ian, JJ, thank you for the introduction to the RHSA Community Missed Instance. I can't wait to see how our membership leverages this cool new platform. Thank you, guys. All right, well, with that, we're gonna take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around, because after that, Lee and Sam Crowther from Cassava discuss the role of bots in fraud tax.
0: Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at Welcome back, everybody. We're
1: back with our next guest, Sam Crowther, founder at Casada. Welcome,
0: Sam. Thanks
5: for uh, having me. Good to be here, Lee. I
1: want to take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Casada. Thanks. So, look, my name's
5: uh, Sam Crowther, the founder and CEO of Casada. So, my background is uh, red teaming security engineering. And Casada is in the business of stopping bots and stopping malicious automation. So, helping organizations deal with the plethora of issues that exist the moment someone can use a bot, use an automation tool or process to scale up an operation against you.
1: Perfect, perfect. So y'all are in the business of bot management, but that really puts you on the front lines of a lot of common fraud focused attacks. And these attacks like account takeover and gift card fraud often use bots. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about the threat landscape and bots that you all see?
5: Absolutely. So to your point, a lot of common fraud operations and attacks start with automation or leverage it at some point, right? And it's because it's so beneficial to the scale of the operation, which ultimately impacts the profit. So look, what we've seen really over the last 12 months kick up is a much more widespread pivot to the techniques that automation can benefit greatly, and then also adoption of much more sophisticated tools, right? Like it feels like all of security is just you know, getting more and more sophisticated from the adversarial side. And particularly in like the gift card fraud, account takeover, like credential stuff in realms, there've been a number of folk who've introduced very sophisticated new tools into the market that you know have have really Forced a lot of the, you know, people on the defense side like us to actually reevaluate how we do things, uh, and that sort of rate of change really feels like it's it's accelerating. And a lot of the attackers are on top of it, and they're able to adapt and pick up these new tools and work them, you know, build them into their workflow. Uh, but it, you know, it presents an interesting challenge on the defense side
1: sure so just to sort of give a, a perspective of it for for our membership our members especially our members that work with dark web scraping see a lot of this activity That's it's sort of top of mind in their defensive postures our membership reports imposter domains daily and it's regularly a leading attack trend in our reporting we also see credential harvesting as a leading reported threat and most harvested credentials that we see are taken either to be leveraged in future fraud or cyber espionage purposes, right? A lot of recent imposter domains that we've seen reported by places like Zscaler and Microsoft use uh, proxy pages imitating employee login pages. And so members not only have to worry about dealing with fraud and bots and account takeover against their own employees, but they also have to worry about dealing with these things for the customers and prospective job applicants. For instance, our membership has seen in the past a surge in job recruiting scams, sometimes imitating real recruiters on iron sites, right? In addition, a lot of our organizations have been seeing. Increased mission attempts that impersonate C-suite leaders. Those seem to come in waves over time, and eventually those lead to um, the attacker trying to get the target to participate in a a gift card fraud scheme, right? And they seem to be targeting people through LinkedIn and cross-referencing that contact data from dumps or data brokers, right? So we see a lot of that type of return fraud and gift card fraud in our membership as well.
5: That's fascinating, particularly one of the ones, you know, points I want to highlight there that you mentioned is the uh, credential harvesting through like proxy pages for, you know, employee login pages. That's very fascinating. What are you guys seeing around, you know, ATO as a result of smishing or, you know, some of these other techniques? Because to your point, like, you know, we have an internal Slack channel, which is just screenshots of apparently me asking for gift cards. Uh, so, you know, I definitely see how, how very real the smishing campaigns are at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the activity you're talking about there is almost identical to what we have organizations seeing, right? We've got screenshots that appear to be from C-suite level leaders just like ordering employees to sell gift cards and stuff. What's interesting is typically the ATO activity we see is usually interrupted. So we don't always get to follow an attack through to the end stage and and follow through and see what an attacker is after and everything. What we usually end up seeing is TTPs that were interrupted in process, right? But I can say that we've we've seen a pretty sizable increase in that activity in the past year. It's been really interesting to see how much it's, It spiked because, first of all, fraud and cyber activity spiked during COVID, right? And then as COVID started winding down and things started leveling back up, instead of seeing that activity go down, we actually saw a spike from the new normal, which was already a spike in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. So if we pivot a little bit, do you think that the lack of a full picture of fraud across an organization can contribute to why so many of the top retail, hospitality, travel organizations are still able to be bypassed by fraudsters.
5: Yeah, I, I do. Th- I think there's a few problems, right? Um, I think vi- visibility is a is a huge issue. I think that really that stems from, you know, I guess there is partially like a lack of tool in, but then also I definitely think that the rate in which the folk that we're up against are able to pivot what it is they actually want and the data that matters to them can actually make it difficult to know what it is they're going after and what to look for. And we've definitely seen that, right? Like I think, you know, maybe there is the usual loyalty points program with rewards and that is an obvious target, but you know, what else is going to be a target? So I really think that having that threat Intel capability, which you you mentioned a lot of your organizations have is so important because then you have clear evidence as to exactly what you need to look for and how to build that full picture yourself.
1: Right, right. So another reason fraud is still so prevalent is that a lot of threat actors evolve their techniques to bypass traditional bot mitigation methods that many organizations still rely on. So can you tell us a little bit about what solver bots? Our solver services are and how that's impacting the fraud trends you'll see.
5: Yeah. So again, like any budding, you know, group of people with a commercial mind, uh, what a lot of the, what a lot of the fraudsters have done, the, the really skilled ones have realized there's actually more money in it for them. If they build services designed to bypass specific security controls, right. And That's what they will sell. So, you know, for example, let's say there's like a, you know, a Capture, right? There there are people who their only job is selling solving technologies for Capture and for other anti-bot providers and even for some like identity providers that collect, you know, additional data about accounts before they log in. This effectively means, however, that anyone, no matter how unskilled, can actually gain access to a tool that is very very powerful and so this is what we see where you have you know people who are wanting to wash say a million credentials or test hundred thousand credit cards they don't actually have much technical knowledge about what it is they need to do in order to make that operation successful but they go and pay you know one of the solver services a thousand dollars and the solver server says okay i guarantee you know i will give you sorry 100,000 legitimate tokens for you to go and use on this website and so it's almost like the productization of their knowledge and it is very scary because it really lowers the barrier to entry and it actually completely undermines the investment in a lot of these defensive tools right when they don't actually change to respond to it and you know the fact that it could be 50 100 a thousand bucks a month to get access to some of this solver software is dirt cheap compared to what they're going to be making from it so i i think it's a worrying trend if i'm, if I'm very honest and I know it's existed for a little bit in, like, the endpoint security where folk would build, I guess, rats or other bits of malware designed to bypass specific endpoint vendors. Uh, it's scary to see it move into the web space because that's so much more prolific for simple and easy fraud.
1: Sure, sure. it, it extends to a larger trend that we've been seeing across the broader threat landscape, which is that, like, commodification is one the name of the game now and two is entirely changing what we think of as a sophisticated threat actor like i'm growing increasingly convinced that sophistication might be losing its value as a way to mark threat actors because so many easy to use tools are starting to proliferate that you have someone that we normally would have considered a script kitty that now has sophisticated apt level tools that they can leverage because they come with a really user-friendly dashboard to leverage right
5: exactly like as simple as it comes that's the problem it's point and click now point and click with no with no technical know-how I think that's a very dangerous combination because it also enables people to get into the industry as well and that's something else we've seen where there's almost like a pipeline of really smart young people who are you know, in college, making a bit of money, selling some like scraper botting software or whatnot, and then all of a sudden, you know, without too much extra effort, are on the side of fraud, right? and they don't really have to think about it, and that's a scary, a scary thought.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. If I can, I'd like to insert a question here, and I understand you haven't had prep time for it, so so forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot. Where do you see some of these trends we've talked about going for the next five years? Because, you know, the last two or three years have been so tumultuous in both fraud and broader cyber threat landscape. How do you see that evolving over the next few years?
5: Yeah, look, if I look at it just from, you know, the piece of the pie that we like to think about it on, I guess, the web and e-commerce side of things, I think there's going to be more consolidation of the solver service folk. Like there's a very fractured ecosystem about it right now, right? There's a lot of different providers for a lot of different vendors. What I imagine the next logical steps for them are is to actually merge, right? And to have one one or two larger groups that are generating and beating, you know, the majority of the fraud and, and bot tools on the market. That is just going to enable more people to get into it. It's going to make it cheaper because they'll achieve economies of scale. and I think it's gonna it's gonna leave things in a pretty bad way right like even over the last six to 12 months when these solver services have been picked up by a lot of the fraudsters credential stuffing success rates have just gone through the roof right you know attacks that we thought were beaten with that first generation of antibot tools right, that came back i just i truly think it's going to get worse right we're pushing more and more people to do more and more things online as we have been for many years and there's just more and more value in it and so i think on the defense side we all need to think about how do we make this as uneconomical as possible? Because that's the only thing that's enabling it all is there's money to be made. Uh, and I, I haven't got a good answer to that question for everyone because it's different for everyone, but that's that's the way we like to think about it is, all right, you're going to try and make this as simple and as cost-effective as possible. What can we do to, to
1: flip that? Yeah, I think you're right on the money, right? So like coordination and consolidation among third actors making it cheaper and easier to execute these and that creating, you know, uh, an exponentially larger problem for defenders over time. I think you're right on the money there. So thank you for indulging me. With that <laughs> of course. One, uh, off script. All right. If I can conclude us now here with uh, finally, what do you think organizations should be looking for in a bot management software that's going to be able to combat these evolving threats that we're talking about?
5: Honestly, I think the first thing is awareness of the problem. Something that is a bit disappointing for us to see is how disconnected some engineering groups are from the actual realities of how their tools are being beaten. And that's problematic because the moment there's disconnect, you know, these folk have the, the advantage. So actually acknowledging there's a problem and talking to, right, how do they enable their teams to make changes quickly that are going to disrupt the attacker's workflows? Like it's really about flexibility and agility. Once you know an organization has been willing to accept, okay, this is the problem, and yeah, this is what we need to to do to beat it. On top of that, I I also think that this is such a complex area, right? The reality is fighting bots is very very detail oriented and, and technically complex and that shouldn't be the customer's problem right there, there shouldn't be any additional situations for there to be those awkward post incident review meetings where it's like oh how to get through well we didn't have this particular rule enabled and it was only monitoring and alerting and so from that i think it's it's very important to make sure that the tool doesn't create extra burden and create and yet another avenue for someone on you know on the team to to in theory mess up because they just don't know how to configure yet another tool and it it absolutely should be the responsibility of the vendor to make sure their tool's working i thoroughly believe that having a been a customer of some of these tools before in my previous life uh and then you know building them now uh, those two are very very big do people actually acknowledge how they're being beaten and what's what is this do they have a strategy and what is it to make sure their technology continually gets better how do they you know combine threat intelligence with that and you know does the product work without you having to bear all the burden and the cost of them? Right? Can you buy it? Can,
1: can they run it? Perfect. Thanks so much for being here with us today, Sam. I appreciate your
5: time. I appreciate you guys having me. It was very good to chat.
1: All right.
2: Thank you to Ian, JJ, and Sam for joining us for these interviews. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. In our next episode, Ian will be back with Matt Tesaro from No Name Security for a conversation about APIs.